welcome to the podcast. I am so excited that you're here. We're going to have a great time today. We're going to do something a little bit different as we close out the identity problem series. So we've talked about the three different identity problems. And with those problems, we talked about approval-driven, performance-driven, relationship-driven, all these different counterfeit identities that the devil throws our way. So I want to tell you that today is going to be a little bit personal for me. I'm going to tell you my story on how I overcame these identities in my life and found the identity that truly became who I am today, which is an identity in Christ. And that's the thing that we've talked about the entire time. So to begin today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about first the scripture and the scripture is the one that I want to go to today is James chapter one. We're going to talk about verses two through four. You've probably heard this verse and really kind of give it a side eye. Nobody really likes that verse, but this is basically what it says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Now, I know this is a verse that we tend to take a second glance at. But I found out a few years back the trueness of this verse. I had reached a very low point in family, ministry, and life overall kind of like what it says, a trial, so to speak. I would like to say that I found joy in the trial, but sadly, that was not at all the case. I was in a very dark place and didn't see a way out except up or him. You know, I've heard it said that God will put you on rock bottom to show you he's the rock at the bottom. And yes, I can attest that this is a certainty. Jesus taught me so much during this time, but I had to get to the point where I had to learn or die or lose it all. It was really, really that bad. I wish I could tell you that I did not think of quitting everything, including life itself, but that would be a lie. I had thoughts that were running through my, my mind that said, I, I can't do this. You, you're, you're not going to survive this. It was one of the worst points of my life. But by pushing through, I began to search myself deeper for the hidden truth about me. And it's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. You see, I began to survey my current life and examine how that current life, what I was living in now, was affected by the trauma that I experienced in my life all the way back to childhood. And so this is kind of a reflection on what I had to go through in order to come out of this. And I'll talk a little bit more detail as we go about all the things that I experienced and why I experienced those things that led to this point. But basically, if we go backwards, my insecurities created in childhood led to approval drivenness. And a lot of people go through this. I'm not telling you my childhood was absolutely horrific or horrible, but it did have instances where it caused me to have insecurities. I wasn't good enough. I couldn't be good enough. And so I began to try to approve, uh, get people to approve of me in all of those situations. And so my approval drivenness 
led me into a relationship identity. And basically what that means is I've got to create relationships around me that everybody approves of. And so that caused me to marry for the wrong reason. Now, when God called me into ministry, I immediately took the reins and wanted to impress people, mainly people uh, that I had never been able to impress before. And this included family and friends and my peers. And when God called me to plant Overflow in 2002, my peers turned on me and church planning was not popular at the time, just to let you know. And so a lot of the preachers that I was friends with and the pastorate and all these ministry uh, peers that I had literally spoke out against me, turned against me with gossiping. It was, it was an absolutely horrific thing. And so when you combine that relational identity with the friends, right, the peers that I needed around me and the approval driven identity and voila, welcome to performance drivenness. I began to doubt everything in my life, mission, purpose, everything. My identity needed people to think I was something, whether I was that thing or not. And in all of that, and this is where most people know me and know what I've done in ministry and the things that God has accomplished is because I found a niche. You see, I I began helping people out of addiction. And by doing that, it was the craziest thing people gave me approval. In other words, it was like, man, we're hearing great things about what you're doing. You're just, nobody else will do what you're doing. All the, and oh my gosh, I became the most successful pastor in the area. But the sad thing is I wanted more of that drug. You see, that's the way identities work. The more you feed them, the more they grow and the more they become solid in who they want you to be. And so you are literally under their control. And so that's exactly what was happening. Now, now let me make a clear statement here that I was not doing wrong things, but it was why I was doing them. You see, God truly gifted me in helping others. I was able to do that. And it was all him. It was not me. As a matter of fact, I can even say that it was in spite of me. The question was never if God called me to do this. The problem laid in the motivation for my continuing to do it. It was my identity problems. And we've talked about these three major counterfeit identities that affect people's lives. And yes, and this is, might sound strange or you might can identify with this. I had a tangled mess of counterfeit identities, all of them, that, all of the three major ones that we've talked about. I had identity schizophrenia. Uh, if you will, multiple identities were just rolling around inside of my spirit. And at the top of my game, and this is kind of where it turns downward, and this is what I want you to hear that identities will do to you. At the top of my game in success and accolades, God chose to tear my life apart. My wife and my kids wanted nothing to do with me. My staff and congregation at this very successful ministry called me out on my control and manipulation issues. And the church leaders asked me to step down for a season to get my act together. In other words, I was forced to go home. And I dare say that it was a home that I was not welcome in. Perfect, right? It was a bad scene, guys. 
And while I was away, I mean, it gets worse. Rumors began to swirl in the community. You know how small towns love to talk. And on top of having absolutely no approval of people in my life, now I was being torn apart by things that weren't even true. The devil was working, right? I mean, he was working overtime. Well, I have to tell you, at this point in my life, I do not believe that was the devil. I think it was all God. Why would God destroy me publicly? Well, it's so that James 1, 2 through 4, would become a reality in my life. I had no choice. As we all do, it's either push through to healing or bail. And I know that there are a lot of people that bail, but James says to let the steadfastness or pushing through have its full effect on you. And by the grace of God, I chose pushing through. And man, did it have its full effect on me. Through all of my turmoil and all of the hardships that I went through, I can now see that he, what he did, and, and it saved my marriage, my kids, ministry, overall spiritual well-being. God literally, through his grace and mercy, began to kill the counterfeit identities one by one, and, and now this is where I want you to hear this, by means of starving them. That's right. He starved them to death. There was no approval. There was no performance I could do. There were no relationships other than the ones that were brutally honest during this time. There was nothing to feed any of the identities that had controlled me for years. Now, I want to tell you this was an extremely painful process that I can honestly say I would do again and again to get where I am now, and that's completely his. So when I was... At home, when I was, I literally actually went to a camper and stayed in a camper because my family didn't want to really be around me during this time, and I understand it completely. I went through a process, and so I, I, what I want to do today is share with you this process. So the first thing I had to do was begin to reflect on what created the identities. Why in the world did I have to need people to approve of? Why was I so performance-driven and relationally driven to where it was literally my entire life revolved around what other people thought of me and thought of what I did? That was why I existed. When they were happy, I was happy. And so I started looking backwards. And we talked about this in another podcast where we talked about sometimes you have to go backwards in order to go forwards. And so this is where this kind of started with me was going backwards. And this is what I encourage all of you guys to do. And so I found out that through family um, of my early years, there was this thing called conditional love. In other words, you got love when you did certain things, but you did not have love if you didn't do certain things. And, and this is not necessarily talking about my immediate family, but the family unit or amoeba family that I grew up in um, was a large proponent of conditional love. And so what that caused me to do was I needed their approval so that I could literally stay in the family. That's the way I thought. And those people would continue to love me. It wasn't unconditional love. It was conditional love. 
And so then when all the people came out against me when I planted the church and me struggling with this already, that's when the coup, that's what I like to call it, of pastors that came out against a new church in a county that had a lot of churches already, that just drove me into a tailspin of performance to make this church successful so that people would see that I was not doing a bad thing. And over and over, relationships were affected, and I found out the drug through all of that that this I, these identities were giving me, the more I went after them, the more I failed, the more I figured out that wasn't there. I remember a time when I was elected citizen of the year uh, for the city of McGee, Mississippi. Now, McGee's not a big town, but at the same time, it's a pretty big deal. I got to be in a parade. I mean, it was pretty awesome. But what I found out in all of that was that it did not give me enough. It's just like any addiction or any drug. You get your drug, and it gives you this temporary moment, but it fades quickly, and you need the drug again. And that's exactly what was happening in the identity situation that I was in. I would help people, and they would get better, but I needed for them to continue to get better and to continue to keep moving forward so that people would say, look what he did. And if somebody ever failed, uh, which is what people do, man. I mean, nobody's perfect. Everybody's going to fail. And when people would fail that I had helped, it sent me backwards. And so I would do everything in my power to control the situation to where it would not fail. It was a horrible situation. But I had to go back and reflect on why these things happened to me and acknowledge that I was in that type family, acknowledge that I was hurt deeply by those pastors and put my pride aside and humble myself and say, okay, this has affected me in this way. And so the way I began to recover from all of these things is to heal from these traumas. And it took a lot of counseling. It took a lot of mentoring, but I learned to forgive my family and peers and learn to set healthy boundaries. Now that's a big thing. We've talked about this in the past. I've got certain boundaries with certain people in my life simply because I cannot let that drug get into my system again. I cannot let those identities that God literally starved to death in me and freed me of to come back because I, I believe they will come back with a vengeance, okay? So I had to learn to forgive my family. I had to learn to say, you know what? They don't affect me. I'm not going to let the hurt that I felt from them just continue to drive me to make decisions in my life and the peers as well. And so I learned to set those boundaries and learn to forgive and move on as if my life does not depend on their happiness. And the next thing I did was learning how to define success. This was something that was extremely life changing for me. When I learned what success was, it changed me completely. See, you see, success is not based on a cultural line or a cultural goal, so to speak. Success is defined by who I am working for, who I am living for, and do they think that I am doing a good job? That's that's it. That's my definition of success. Okay, and and you know, as a preacher or a Christian, somebody of faith, you kind of know a little foreshadowing there of what's to come of who I actually work for. But I literally 
had to learn how to define my success. And for me, my success is obedience. That's it. It's just obedience. And then the last thing is I had to deny accolades that motivated me to go forward. In other words, I could not listen to people. I wanted to, but I couldn't listen to people. And he would step off the stage and people say it was the best sermon I've ever heard. I literally had to put those people out of my mind. And the reason why is because if I were to take it and, and, and live for those things, and this is not to say everybody should do this, but for me, it was a motivator. It was a way that I, my performance-driven identity got back in. And so I literally tried to stay away from accolades. Uh, that turned into me doing a lot of things that God wanted me to do and me never receiving credit for it, uh, which is a very freeing experience if you've never uh, had that opportunity. So I would suggest that you try it. And so in the third step, so to recap, in that time, I reflected on what created my identities, okay? And I learned to heal from those traumas that I went through in life. And then the last thing is I was learning who I was and God. And to me, this is the biggest, okay? This is the, the, the biggest thing ever. You see, all my life, and I've experienced so many Christians that deal with this, I was trying to work. To God. In other words, somebody once gave me an illustration, and I love this. In most other religions, there's a mountain. God is at the top. We are at the bottom. And in those religions, it is our job to work our way up the mountain to get close to God. And, and a lot of times, even in the Christian faith, even though this is unbiblical, even in the Christian faith, we find ourselves trying to get up that mountain to get closer to God. But what I love about this illustration is, is that we are the only faith where God came to the bottom of the mountain. We didn't have to go up. And so I use that in my mind as I was working through these things, understanding that there is absolutely nothing I can do. And, and, and if you can hear this, listen, there's absolutely nothing you or I can do to get closer to God. There, there's nothing. It is not that God is... God sent his son, right? And he died on a cross for us. That is God saying, I'm willing to put in the work to get to you. I want to be close to you. And we put this on us so much that we, we literally try to keep all the rules. We try to keep all the commandments. We try to do our best and everything. And the reason why is we're trying to get God to listen to us. or we're trying to get God to um, hear us. This is why we ask preachers to pray for us instead of just us praying. Why? Because they're closer to God. They've worked further up the mountain. But the truth is, is that God says, I'm here. The only thing stopping you from coming to me is you. It is not the works. It is not the, you just need to turn around. I'm right here. <laughs> and so figuring out that, that I cannot work to get closer to God. I'm already as close to God I will ever get. I love that thought process. And because I understood this, I stopped trying to mold God to my image. And I started to say, okay, God, you're the one doing the work here. It's not me. It's not on me. It never has been on me. You're doing the work, so there's no need for me to try to picture what I've got to do to get to you and make you into my image. In other words, I'm just going to turn around and say, God, here I am. Who are you and who am I in you? And I'll tell you how this happened. And so it was the latter part of this time away, this season away, um, that I was doing all of this. I had a journal 
And so I wrote in that journal constantly and just kind of reflected on everything that I was going through. And it was brutal, um, just horrible thing. And then it got to this one point where I was reading through the scriptures because that's all I had to do. I had no internet, no TV where it was, no phone, no nothing. It was literally just me and the Bible and my journal. And so in that journal, after reading scripture, I started to say, you know, let's really open up about who I am. So I began to write on the page everything that I could literally think of that was sin in my life. Some, any way that I struggled, anything that I had in my life, I just wanted to write it down. So I began to write in single words, not this long stories or anything like that, just single words. Like I would put pride or, and then I would write again and it was real messy. Uh, I didn't write in neat little lines. I just kind of scribbled on the page, love, pride. These are the things I struggle with, approval drivenness, identities, all these different things. And I, I ended up filling up, and this is a fairly wide journal, but I ended up filling up two solid pages of words that were struggles in my life. And I began to look at it, and then I caught myself writing, this is who I am. This is, this is what I have become. This is my life. And it was so ugly, guys. It was, it was so nasty just to look at those things. And I was a, a horrible person. And so I just stopped. And I, I began to read Scripture again. And I remember reading uh, Scripture in First John, and I can't exactly quote you exactly where it comes from, but most of you will know this passage of Scripture, and it says this, I have written these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate in Christ, and he is the propitiation of our sin. In other words, he is the thing that satisfies God's anger towards us. And so I went back over, and I will never forget this as long as I live. I went back over, and I grabbed the page and I looked down at it, and I wrote something. It was like, and I'm not saying God just, you know, moved my hand, but it was almost like God said, write this down. And so I wrote down, because of Jesus, and then immediately I turned the page, and I remember feeling the color. This is, I know this might sound crazy, but the color of the page was so white. There was nothing written on it. So I turned back and I looked at all the ugliness and then I read at it and I said, because of Jesus, and I turned it again and it was just pure. And I wrote on that page, and I'll never forget this, this is who I am in Christ. A clean slate. I'm not identified by my sin. I'm not identified by my works. I'm not identified by my accomplishments. I'm not identified by my relationships. I am identified by being one of the ones that Jesus Christ died on a cross for so that my life could turn the page. And I want to tell you something that changed me. It changed the way I approached ministry. It changed the way I approached people. It changed the way I stopped letting people take control of me uh, based on their emotions. It, 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 it just did so many things. And I have since learned to apologize and reconcile relationships that I've destroyed over the 14 years prior to me stepping away. Though I might have married her, 
listen to this because a lot of you are still hung up on the fact that I'm married for the wrong reason. So the, I might've married her for the wrong reason. The love of my life has shown me 27 years of grace and God has shown us how to be the happiest couple alive. I go back to Joseph when I think about my wife and I think what God, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And I'm here to tell you right now, I have the best relationship. This woman is amazing, and God has healed us from so much. I have the best relationship with my kids that I've ever had. I, even, I didn't even know that that kind of a relationship with my kids was possible. But I have that now, and I'm so excited about that. I've learned that the value of true friendships and what a rarity they are, hold on to them at all costs. But most of all, hear me out. I learned to turn the page. I now know that what God did for me and does for me every single day makes him and him alone worthy of all my praise and purpose. The cool thing about knowing who you are in Christ is people can say or do whatever they want about you, but you know the truth, and that's all that matters. You've redefined success to a point where you are here to be obedient, and if you are obedient, praise the Lord. My success now is on doing what God called me to do and nothing else. I love when good things happen as a result of his work, but it's not my reason for doing. I'm now doing something that I love and that he's called me to do. Will it work? (laughs) I don't know. You know, it's not up to me. I've learned to simplify my life in a way that leaves enough margin for Christ, family, and friends in my life to have the top part. I'm not the busiest person on the block, but I might be the most content. I want to close with this. I want you to hear me when I say this. We spend our lives searching for meaning and purpose, trying to do right by the culture's standards. Remember who you are and that you don't belong here. This is not your culture. You're not, you're part of a tribe all on its own. And no matter how much you fail in the culture's eyes, you recognize that those aren't the eyes that matter. And in his eyes, you're perfect through Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to turn the page. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and and hopefully part of me has come out and inspires you uh, to find these same truths um, that I've found through God and his word and the podcast is doing so well and I just want to celebrate this for just a moment um, we've been doing this for about a month and a half now and we've already gotten over a thousand downloads and I'm so excited about that and and I want it to go further where there are people in many different countries that are following and, and all over the United States. It's just, it's just the coolest thing ever uh, to see what God is doing in this. Uh, so thank you for all your support. Thank you for um, following, liking, sharing. Um, We're going to start something new next week, um, and I hope that you will join in because it's one of those things that's kind of a you probably want to hear this one. Uh, we're going to talk about the Bible and if it's really true all the way through from front to back. And so that should be enough for you just to, to check it out and to listen. But um, make sure you subscribe, follow, whatever platform you're on, um, because it means a lot uh, to us. 
as we move through this. Guys, you are not what the culture says you are. You are not what your past says you are. You are not what your sin says you are. You are what God says you are. So it's time, guys, turn the page. You know, it's actually pretty simple.